I'll promise you that's easy to say and hard to live out. And some of us, even on our way home today, might have a hard time with that. But we serve a God who is for us and not against us, who is always working for our good. And don't confuse that with what always seems good, because he is a God who will discipline us because he loves us. And so he will come alongside you and he will show you things that you need to change in your attitude, in your behavior, in your life. And if he does not do that, if you have not heard the corrective voice of the Lord recently, let me just go out on a limb and be a prophet. You're not listening. Period. Because he disciplines those he loves. And there's not one of us in this room that has reached the final destination yet. And so he will come alongside us and he will point things out because he knows that they're stealing from us. The behavior patterns, the thought patterns that we buy into, that we fall into, that we live in, they're robbing us of peace and joy and hope. We think people are robbing us of that. Not so. It's our own attitudes, behaviors, thought patterns. And he is coming with relenting love. Unrelenting love, sorry. And he will keep that up. He will finish the work he started in us. So, my suggestion to all of us is cooperate more fully than we ever have before. Because it goes faster and it's better. Um, so, he can be trusted. All right. Well, we are in a series that is called The Life You've Always Wanted. Based on a book by John Ortberg that he wrote um, several years ago, and I read it actually this summer. In fact, if you read this chapter for this month, you'll recognize the testimony that Tony Campolo shares in this book because I shared it um, months ago when we were doing a, I was doing a sermon on prayer, and uh, I had come across this testimony when I was reading the book back then, and uh, I shared it with you, and this this book is really about spiritual disciplines. Um, we'll take a step back in case you haven't been here. Spiritual disciplines, and um, in the beginning chapters of the book, what John does is he kind of defines what this Christian life is all about, what it should look like. The life God has always designed for us to live as sons and daughters, as children of the light, what this should look like, and how we should use spiritual disciplines to live out that life. Because we can participate in spiritual disciplines and have them be unfruitful. I mean, you can be a very disciplined person, and you can pray regularly, and you can read the Bible, and you can fast, and you can do all of these things just like the Pharisees did, and have them be unproductive in your life. But we want to use them in a way to lead us into the life that God has always had in mind for us. And that's what this book is about. And we started with the practice of celebration, we read that in, in the month of November, and we talked through that. We talked about the practice of slowing in the month of December and how we make intentional choices to slow down in our lives, how we choose solitude, that extended period of time where we turn off noise and we just listen. And we talked about Sabbath. And I promise you, we have not even scratched the surface of Sabbath. Um, in the Assemblies of God, I get a newsletter, a quarterly newsletter from our main office in um, Springfield. I almost said Mecca. Um, secrets out of the bag. <laughs> I refer to Springfield affectionately as Mecca. And, uh, that's, and so, so if you ever hear me talk about that, that's where I'm, I'm referring to. And uh, with all 
affection in the world. And uh, our general secretary, Donna Barrett, actually wrote the newsletter for this month. And in it, she quoted from a book about Sabbath rest. And I was so intrigued that I downloaded a copy and started reading it and um, learned so much in just chapter one about the theology of work and uh, so much that the Lord is shaping in my heart for work when we talk about that in the month of February. So it, this idea of Sabbath is everywhere I turn. That's something I think God wants us to learn. Um, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesies to the people that they've neglected the Sabbaths of God. Sabbath is a day, but Sabbath is also an attitude. It's a mindset. And we have to learn to live from that place of rest, security, identity. Um, and so, so much that we could have still talked about, but um, I preached on it for three weeks. That's good enough for now. And so we're going to move into chapter six today, the practice of prayer. And everyone lets out a collective groan. Chapter six is called Interrupting Heaven. And that's what I titled the message today. And as I mentioned earlier, there are 28-day prayer guides in the back, short devotional that goes with each day, and it's really just a focus. And so for the next 28 days, whether you participate with us corporately or just on your own, uh, I want us as a body to be praying daily along the same lines and trusting that God is going to lead us and speak to us and knit our hearts together. So if you can join us uh, this week for the week of prayer, I encourage you to do that. Um, but if not, I encourage you to pray with us through that theme throughout the rest of this month. And for all of the spiritual disciplines, John talks about this in the book, prayer is the one that gets most of us. Most Christians, if you ask them, will say, I need to pray more. That's a general feeling among Christians, especially in our country. And we claim as Christians that we believe in prayer, but in reality, we practice it very, very little. And if we actually believed in the power of prayer, we would practice it more consistently. And so this is not about trying to make anyone feel guilty, but this is trying to maybe stir us to realize what prayer is, what it's all about, and making sure that it's a bigger part of our lives than it has been in the past. Because my guess is every single one of us needs to pray more. In the chapter, John talks about how this desire to pray is almost innate in us in human beings. Um, people that don't pray regularly, when their backs are against the wall, even when they say they don't believe in God, many of them, as a last resort, will throw up a prayer and will cry out to God because I believe there is within us as human beings this sense that there is a God above us and we cry out to Him. And he, he talks about even in football, the term Hail Mary is used as the last desperate throw of um, the quarterback to try to win the game. And, of course, that goes all the way back to the Doug Flutie days when Doug Flutie did it against Notre Dame and Hail Mary and how it all comes together and it's beautiful. And um, I, I say it's beautiful because I'm a Miami fan. Uh, if you're a Notre Dame fan, maybe not so much. But if you're in the position where you're throwing a Hail Mary at the end of the game, that's not good. But nobody, when they're down by five points, takes a knee. We don't just give up. We throw the pass because who knows? Might get caught. 
And some of us, that's how we, we pray. And please, don't stop doing that. Because here's what I found. God responds to those cries. I mean, I know I haven't been living right. I know I haven't been praying enough. But God, if you help, God, help. I mean, even Martin Luther himself was like, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do this. And he, I, I wouldn't make a vow to God. Just ask for mercy. Because he's a God that loves to give mercy to his kids. Whether you're a kid that's at home or a kid that's in the pig pen, he has mercy for us. However, as John points out in the book, as believers, that type of prayer life will not sustain us for long. So while I encourage you to continue to throw up your Hail Marys, we have to learn the practice of prayer. And he gives us a lot of practical tips on prayer. One of them from the chapter, probably one you've heard before, you have to set a time and a place to pray. So there has to be a routine. There has to be a time and a place where you say, this is my time when I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. Not just read the Bible, but pray and, and bring my requests to God and listen for what God wants to say to me. There has to be that time in our lives. He encourages us to, if, if you're not a person who prays regularly, to just take five minutes every single day and pray. And when I first read this, he says, at five minutes... Even if it's dry, just stop five minutes. If it's good and you feel like going longer, stop anyway. And I'm like, huh? Why would you tell people to stop praying? But I, I get what he's saying. It's not about how you feel when you're praying. It's not about whether you're sensing God or not sensing God or whether your emotions are involved or your emotions are not involved. It's about the practice of prayer. And if you pray, God says he'll hear you. And so if you feel it, good. If you don't feel it, good. It's good because you're asking God to move. You're doing what he has said to do in his word. And so establishing the pattern is very important in our lives. Now, that shouldn't be the only time we pray. I mean, we have to be people led by the Spirit. I'm, and we'll talk about that in May. <laughs> Just kidding. We'll talk about it all the time. But we'll really focus on what it is to hear the Spirit and follow the Spirit when we get to that practice of being Spirit-led. But being Spirit-led and listening for what God wants to do. When you're at work and you're frustrated and you're ready to give someone a piece of your mind or you're ready to just give up, pray. Pray. Stop. When you're having an argument, stop. Pray. We don't do this. We just keep going. I mean, think about how many times we rehearse a conversation we're going to have with someone, and if we would spend half as much time praying for the receptivity of that, that conversation would go better. But we just keep rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing. Or we prepare and we prepare and we prepare. And don't get me wrong, we prepare for service and we prepare for what happens here. But so much of what happens here is not dependent upon our preparation. Mark Batterson one of my favorite authors, his, one of his favorite quotes is, we have to be a people that work like everything depends upon us. Preparation is important. Being, being ready, working hard, studying, we have to work like everything depends on us. But at the same time, we have to be a people who pray like everything depends on God. It's not either or. As Pentecostals, sometimes we like the other side and we're like, well, let's just pray. It all depends on God. It does all depend on God. And that same God said, hey, work. Work hard, pray hard. And so today what I want to do, I'm, we're going to be talking about prayer for the entire month of, of January, but I want to give you just four thoughts on prayer. 
And some of them may come from John's thoughts in the book. Some of them may actually come from the prayer guide that we have. There's an introductory chapter that talks a little bit about prayer. And some of them may just be things that the Lord has put in my heart about prayer. And so I just really boiled it down to four things. One of the things that um, I want to caution us in before we get into this month is don't limit the definition of prayer to what you think it is. Prayer is asking God for what we need. Prayer is interceding on behalf of someone else, sometimes even without words, with just groans. The Holy Spirit groans on in, through us in ways that we don't even understand, and we're yet praying for other people. But prayer is also waiting. You know, sometimes when we have a corporate prayer meeting, I used to get really frustrated when it was just like quiet for like a long period of time. And I love the quote that Dallas Willard uh, alludes to, or that John alludes to in the book from Dallas Willard, is that in prayer, God knits our hearts together. And sometimes just being in the same room, focusing our thoughts on God, God is doing something without words that we're not even aware of. And so I don't, I don't mind when there's quiet in prayer. And if you come to a prayer meeting and you think, man, we didn't even accomplish anything, or it didn't feel anything, or I didn't get refreshed or anything, that's not prayer. I mean, yeah, that's a part of prayer, but when we limit prayer into what we've experienced or what we think or what we know, we're going to miss out on something. So don't limit your definition of prayer, but let God kind of expand that as we go. So point number one, here, here you go. Prayer is essential. It is essential. Breathing is essential. That's the same type of thing. We, I became the, the lead pastor of Restoration Church back in 2000. And from that day, we have always had corporate prayer as a, an aspect of our church. And sometimes we do it well, and sometimes we don't. And sometimes for great spans of time, two or three people show up. And I don't care because prayer is essential. It's essential. I was blessed when I started in ministry um, back in the year 2000 to read a book by Jim Cimbala, who pastors Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And Jim wrote a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and how God imprinted on his heart that the number one calling of a pastor is to lead people to pray. Because if you don't lead them to pray, you don't, you don't connect them to the source. I mean, you may minister to them, you may help them, but they, we have to be a people who pray. Um, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir has won Grammy after Grammy after Grammy, led by a lady that can't even read music. She can't. When she writes a song, she has to bring someone in, and she plays the song for them, and they write the music so other people can learn to sing it. And they talk about how their choir, their choir practices are prayer meetings, and every once in a while, a choir practice breaks out. And that's not just a phrase. He talks about the frustration of church conferences where pastors will come and they want to know the secret to what God is doing in the Brooklyn Tabernacle and drug addicts are getting saved and delivered and joining the choir and how is this happening and he'll talk about prayer and they'll close their books because people don't believe that prayer is actually what changes things. I mean, we do, but we don't. What's the secret? What do we got to do? What program do we need? What, what, what phraseology do I need to use? What, what thing is there that is going to make the difference? And he says it's our Tuesday night prayer meeting. 
I've always led people to pray. And he encouraged me because there were times where there were just a few people that would gather for that prayer meeting, but they never stopped praying. I've always challenged our leaders to be faithful in prayer, corporate prayer, because we can't make decisions for a body if we're not praying together with the other members of that body. That's where our hearts are knit together. I mean, we can come up with a plan and we can all get our own ideas, but when God knits our hearts together, we're going to make wise decisions as leaders together. And I used to force our leaders to come to prayer, but I very quickly learned that when you force someone to come to prayer, they'll either bring their smartphone or a magazine. And they won't actually pray, they'll just engage in other things. And so a few years in, I decided to just strongly recommend prayer and not require prayer. Because you can't force people to pray. Prayer is essential. In Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, it says, The news about Jesus spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Church, Jesus was one with the Father. He was God. And as a human, he often prayed. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed all through the night. And many times, even in the middle of the day, he would slip away by himself to pray, to connect to the Father, to stay true to the Father, to stay in sync with the Father, to listen to the Father, to ask the Father to move on his behalf. We assume many times that we know what to do, so let's start doing it. But the greater the crowds, the greater the demands, the more hectic the schedule, the more we need to slip away and be with the Father. It's where our hearts get rooted in His identity for us, and His purpose for us, and His hearts for us. Prayer is essential. The writer of Philippians, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you want the, the peace of God to guard your hearts and minds? Man, I do. I mean, do you, you want God? I want God's peace to guard my heart and mind. Well, it comes through prayer. It comes through offering the anxieties of my heart to Him. It doesn't mean I have to kneel down. It doesn't mean I have to even close my eyes. It doesn't mean I have to get alone in a room and turn on music. It just means I have to cry out to Him. Say, God, my heart is anxious right now with this thing, and I'm giving it to You. It doesn't mean the anxiety flees instantly either. Because we have to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, Colossians tells us. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Pray in the Spirit on all, all occasions, all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. There's all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the Apostle Paul just sums it up this way. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. I mean, when you say amen at the end of your five minutes of prayer as we develop that habit, you never really say amen. Every moment of the day, I want to be in communion with the Father. That's the goal. So that my heart is always inclined to just ask Him, to listen to Him, 
to talk to him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Everyone said, Amen. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. You know, I, I hear so much and I read so much on social media about the end of times and the end of all things is near. Why aren't prayer meetings increasing? I mean, if it was true that the end is near, the scripture calls us to pray more when the end is near. Not study the signs more, not try to read all the graphs and charts and watch all the guys on TV that know all the things and know who's going to be where and what's going to be this and where the mark of the beast is. No, pray. 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 It doesn't mean we shouldn't study. I love to study. I love to listen to other people teach because I, I don't know everything. i got to learn from others. I love it. But we have to be a people that pray because prayer is essential. Number two, prayer is humbling. Prayer is humbling. I should say maybe that prayer is the path of humility because prayer doesn't always humble us. It should, but prayer can actually make us proud also. I mean, we can actually become proud of our prayer and proud of our prayer meetings. I mean, we pray. We are a church that prays. Praise God, that church over there, they don't pray like we pray. We pray. But prayer is supposed to be a declaration of dependence. It's supposed to say, God, I've done everything I can do, but I recognize that the best I can do can never be enough. That's why I love John Lindell's quote that I started today's service with. He recognizes that the best he can do will never open the hearts of other people. It takes the intervention of God. One of the things that I love to do on Sunday morning before everyone gets here is to walk through these, these aisles and pray over seats. Because I recognize no matter how polished all of this is, if God doesn't intervene, it won't matter. It won't matter. In Acts chapter, or excuse me, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is telling a story about a tax collector and a Pharisee who were praying. And the Pharisee prays that, you know, thank God I'm not like sinners, like other people, like that tax collector over there. And in verse 13, Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He didn't know the right words to pray. I mean, I'm sure the Pharisee was far more fluent in his prayers. Probably prayed far more frequently. I mean, the early church, after all, prayed regularly together several times a day. I mean, if you read through the book of Acts and you slow down, you'll recognize one of the things that the church did more than other things was pray together. Often. And we want the revival of the book of Acts, but many times we're not willing to pray the prayers of the book of Acts. But the Pharisee says one thing, the tax collector says another, and in verse 14, Jesus tells us the moral. I tell you that this man the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Because it's not just about learning the right phrases and the right principles and being the most spiritual guy in the room and, you know, saying, well, I have a, I have a prayer closet. You should come over and see my prayer closet. I watched the movie War Room, and I have a prayer closet. I mean, it's not about priding ourselves in prayer. But at the same time, we have to know that prayer is essential. 
It's the path of humility. It's where I say, God, I work hard, but I recognize my hard work isn't what gets the job done. You get the job done. Every Sunday morning when we meet for prayer, I wonder if we wonder, ever wonder, does it even make a difference? Yeah, it does. At 9 o'clock, we start praying. We start praying for you because we know there are wars going on in your lives. We know that demons will try to enter your children on Sunday morning to keep you from being present with us, and we want to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, that was a joke, by the way. But, you know, sometimes if anything bad is going to happen, it's Sunday morning. Oh, my alarm didn't go off. I'm not even going to try to get there. Well, you know, somebody's not feeling the best. Maybe we won't go today. Because we know that there's a war that goes on in your life, and we pray for you. And we pray together for you. And we don't know what God is going to do, even though we think we know what God is going to do. But we recognize God can do whatever He wants to do. And be, after all of our preparation and all of our setup, we stop and acknowledge without Him we can do nothing. Because in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we actually have to, to be connected with Him? Do we actually have to stop and actually say, God help. That the prayer time is not just something on the calendar, but it's actually essential. That it's actually the path to humility. Number three, you'll probably amen this one. Prayer is hard. Prayer is hard. It's hard. I mean, I wish every time I prayed there was grace to pray. I wish every time I prayed the heavens opened and, oh, I mean, I have tricks. I know how to get the heavens to open. I mean, I've got an IHOP prayer room with Ryan Kondo from May 8th of 2008. It's like 12 years old. But when I'm really struggling, I will turn that on because I know that there's something about that where I have encountered God. And see... Don't get me wrong. I mean, I know that some people are like, oh, that's emotionalism. It's not emotionalism. It brings back to our minds the faithfulness of God. I mean, there are certain spots I can go to in, in our old church building or at Trinity Bible College when I went. I mean, I don't even have to go there physically. Although going there physically, there's something about that spot where I encountered God, where He moved, where He said something, where something broke in my life. And sometimes I've got to use those things to help because prayer is hard. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And before he told the story, he told them why he told the story. Then he spoke a parable to them that men should always pray and not lose heart. Do you know why he said that? Because you will lose heart. Oh, pastor, don't declare that over me. <laughs> Jesus did. You're going to lose heart, but you have to keep praying. When prayer is hard... Pray anyway. When there's no feeling, pray anyway. And he tells the story about this widow that just kept bugging a judge. He, she kept, I want justice. I want justice. I want things to be made right. We don't even know what's going on. We just know she wants things to be made right. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Justice, 
everything made right on earth. That's what we want to see. And he knew that it would get hard and we would want to quit. So he told us about this widow who kept wearing out a judge and the judge wasn't even God-fearing, but he finally gave in because this widow wouldn't stop. And in verse 7, Jesus says, Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Meaning, though sometimes it takes a long time to see anything as a result to our crying out for justice. Well, Pastor, I've tried to pray, and it just gets worse. Why did you stop? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Some versions use the word quickly. I don't like quickly. See, when God finally does act, it's speedily. Every single time. In a, in a moment, everything changes, boom. But sometimes it takes him a long time to get to speedily. I mean, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. So a minute is even a long time. And then he ends with this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, when the end is near, will he find a people that are still crying out for justice? His will be done. His kingdom come. More and more. I'm not going to relent because I know it makes a difference. I'm not going to stop. I'm coming. I'm praying. I'm knocking. Because prayer is hard. Daniel prayed for 21 days. Fasted and prayed for 21 days before he ever got an answer. In Matthew chapter 26, I love the story of the disciples with Jesus in the garden. Because Matthew 26, verse 43, he comes back again a second time and he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them. The first time he woke them. The second time he didn't even wake them. He left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Saying the same thing. Some people say, oh, you don't have to repeat your prayers. You just have to pray at once. Jesus prayed three times the same prayer. Uh, don't get into this, well, this is how prayer has to be. This is the pattern. These are the words you have to use. This is the what you, it's got to be this way. Don't repeat yourself. Don't babble. Don't do it. Don't lock yourself in, period. Pray. Cry out to God with a sincere heart. Then he returned to his disciples in verse 45. Are you still sleeping? <laughs> Ever fallen asleep during a prayer meeting? Yep, it happens. Because sometimes prayer is hard. And sometimes it, your eyes are heavy. And you fall asleep. Praise God, you fell asleep in a prayer meeting. It's the best place to take a nap. Convinced of it. If you're going to nap, nap in a prayer meeting. <laughs> Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. When prayer is hard, remind ourselves what is true of prayer. What is true of prayer? Number four, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. It cannot be anything but else, anything else. When you cry out to God, God hears that cry. Pray. Pray. In the book, John quotes Walter Wink. Walter Wink says, History belongs to the intercessors. Those who believe and pray the future 
into being. We wrestle with the idea of, isn't whatever going to happen just going to happen? Does it matter if we pray? Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not just so we would have busy work, but because our prayers make a difference on the earth. If we do not like what's happening on the earth, pray. Don't rant about it. Don't complain about it. Don't just assume that's what's supposed to happen. Pray. Justice. God's will done. Everything made right. I'm sick of death. I'm sick of sickness. I'm sick of disease. I'm sick of anxiety. I'm sick of depression. I'm sick of everything the way it wasn't supposed to be from the beginning. And so I ask, set it right. Set it right. Set it right. Until it's set right. I love the story, again I've alluded to it, from Tony Campolo, where he's in the Pentecostal prayer meeting where the guy goes off on a tangent and he's in his head judging why this guy is even bothering to pray this prayer and it's a stupid prayer and then as he picks up a man on the road, later on it's the very man that was prayed for and he helps put that marriage back together. Don't limit God. Don't think that the prayer meeting that you have is better than the prayer meeting that someone else has. Pray. And pray, excuse me, because prayer is powerful. Luke chapter 11, we're going to make it. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Then, excuse me, then teaching more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. I don't recommend this. Wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. And I have nothing for him to eat. That's important because hospitality is a big deal for them. Okay? So if you were hungry, you wouldn't wake your neighbor up at midnight. But if someone comes to your home and they're your guest and you have nothing to give them, then that's worthy of waking up your neighbor at midnight. Okay? That's the point hospitality for them, taking care of the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the person in your care, that was priority in the kingdom of God. So, suppose your friend calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you bug him, that's what Jesus says, if you bug him, He will get up so you go away. That's the truth right there. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Why does he get up and answer? The shameless persistence. And I know that we can take this too far, and I know that some believers do, and there's a whole name it, claim it movement, and you can just ask for whatever you want, and blah, blah, blah. But please do not throw out the baby with the bathwater, because Jesus himself taught this parable, and there is something in here for you to mine. Because in verse 9 he says, So I tell you, not me, he, Jesus, I tell you, keep on asking, And you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. 
Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You're like, well, I've asked and I didn't receive. No, you ask until you receive. You seek until you find. You knock and you say, well, it's too late. What I was asking for is gone. (laughs) Honey, it's never gone. I promise you, it's never too late to pray and to ask and to intercede and to cry out for things to be made right. And I don't know why I called you honey just now, but apparently when you teach on prayer, you like draw in the spirit of the South and you just, you do it. I don't know. Verse 13. So Jesus says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's the point. It's not even what you're seeking or what you're asking for. Sometimes you need stuff you don't even know you need. And when you keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking, you get what you need. The point, the, the, mes- or the, the title for the message comes from this last scripture passage from Revelation chapter 8. I called it Interrupting Heaven. John brings it up in the book because in Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 1, he opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hands just in case you ever wondered where your prayers went. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And if you continue to read on through chapter 8, all things are made right. Justice comes. Eventually. I mean, it gets worse before it gets better. The point that John makes in the book, the point that John is making in the book of Revelation is your prayers go up before the the throne of God and they are collected and they are hurled back to the earth. So when Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, he's not just giving you something to do so you won't have idle hands and be the devil's handiwork. Your prayers make a difference. Don't stop praying. When prayer is hard, remind yourself, I'm filling the bowl. And one day, the bowl is going to get poured out. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I trust the one who holds the bowl. And I keep asking, and I keep seeking, and I keep knocking, because I believe what he said about prayer, and I refuse to lose heart and give up. And by the way, Ask him for the persistence to do that, because if you just say, I won't give up, (laughs) ask Peter how that goes. We even need him. We even have to pray for the perseverance to not give up, because in our own strength, we can't do it. 
but he gives it. He gives it. So over the next 28 days, as we dive into this month, as we use just a prayer guide to help us as a church pray together, seek God together, I hope that you develop a habit of prayer, a regular habit, a time, a place, five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, just you and Him, acknowledging Him, listening to Him, asking Him for things, interceding on behalf of others. I hope you develop that. I hope we develop a habit of turning to Him first when we face a crisis. I hope we develop a habit of turning Him as soon as we remember to turn to Him. When we've exhausted all other options and made all kinds of messes, I hope we don't let, let guilt and shame keep us from crying out when we remembered what we should have done in the first place. And we ask. And we follow that instinct to cry out for mercy because prayer is essential. Prayer is the path of humility. Prayer is hard, but prayer is powerful. Powerful. And so, Father, thank you for the privilege that we have as your sons and daughters to partner with you to set things right on the earth. God, to take the justice that Jesus purchased at Calvary through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, and to declare his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, thank you for the privilege of being able to walk right into your throne room to ask for the daily bread that we need. God, the things that are on our hearts, the anxieties, the worries, the fears, God, the doubts, the things that we probably know shouldn't even be there. God, help us not to try to hide from them. Help us to be honest with you and just give them to you. Even if we have to do it 25,000 times a day, God, help us to be persistent in asking you for what we need. Thank you for the privilege to stand in the gap, to intercede for other believers, for other missionaries, for other people that we don't even know that we're interceding for. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to empower our prayers, to help us when we don't even know how we should pray. And Father, I pray that over these next 28 days, that you would teach us how to pray. That you teach us how to pray. That you teach us how to persevere. That you teach us how to stop. And call on you. How to leave things in your hands. Teach us things that we don't know yet. Teach us things that we don't even know we don't know. Holy Spirit, empower the prayers of your people over this next week, over this next month. Start something in our lives that will last for eternity. Alter destinies through the prayers of your people. Renew callings through the prayers of your people. Bring healing through the prayers of your people. Restore what has been stolen 
through the prayers of your people. Bring justice to every marriage, to every home, to every work situation. Bring justice to this community. Set things right in the city of Huron. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in this city as it's done in heaven. Fill our hearts with hope. Fill our hearts with expectation. Fill our hearts with faith. Give us the perseverance we need. So, Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we can pray today knowing that you are going to finish the work you started in us. Thank you that we can pray today knowing that you're going to continue to work for the good of not just Restoration Church, but the good of your people on this earth. And Holy Spirit, I just pray for responsive hearts that fully cooperate with you as you set about to work over this next month. Before we leave today, if you've got a need, you need physical healing, you need just a relationship to be restored, you need to overcome anxiety or depression, you just need, there's a need in your life, would you just take a minute and lift both of your hands and say, God, here's my need, here's my need, whatever it is, whether it's for you, whether it's for someone in your family, whether it's for somebody that you just know, whether it's a friend, maybe it's for your enemy, maybe there's bitterness in your heart that you need to release. Whatever that need is right now, God, we just lift. As your people, we do what you've asked us to do, like your children. God, we come to you and we ask for what we need. We ask for what we need right now. God, we need healing. We need restoration. We need freedom. We need deliverance. We need finances. God, we need hope. We need strength. We need peace. God, we need you because you are hope and you are peace and you are provider and you are healer. And so I pray that today, God, that every single person with a need in this room, every person that's watching online with a need, God would encounter you. We need you. And so we receive you today. We receive your spirit today in fuller measure, in greater measure. God, we know we need you. Supply what we have need of right now. According to your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm looking forward to this month. Uh, we're going to talk about prayer a lot. I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about. We may even pray every once in a while during this service. We might just have a prayer meeting. And I won't tell you when because you might stay home. No, I'm just kidding. Because you know prayer is hard, but prayer is powerful. Amen? All right. Before you leave today, don't forget to stop by the table. The books are back there if you want to pick up a copy of either one, the reading guides, the offering baskets. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving this past year. If you do have offering uh, that you brought and want to give today for the year 2021, um, you can use the offering baskets that are back there as well for that. Just please make sure the date is on that check or on that envelope for 2021. 
And today is your last chance um, to give in in 2121 for those of you that were looking for that opportunity. Today's your last chance to do it. So thanks for being here today. God bless you as you go. Hope to see you tonight at 5 o'clock.